David Arquette, the world, I, I'm going to say it again because I don't believe it. David Arquette is the world champion. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. Hold one. Arm drag. Who are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Because this guy's a serious professional. I will take your mother home and make a woman out of her, kid. You keep your mouth shut. I'm talking to you, kid. I'm going to make your mother go, woo, woo, woo. Hold two. Arm bar. Oh, what is he oh doing? My God. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What oh. the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. That's why I made this match a Judy Bagwell on a pole match. Hold three. The moss-covered, three-handled family grudunzel. Well, I don't know why you don't want to cut my hair, Eddie. You won! This place only rough when he picks him up. He's got him up! From time to time, I'm going to pop in when you least expect it. I got 200 more holes to live. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent, he's from Nuremberg, Germany. He weighs 221 pounds, and he is Germany's youngest professional wrestler, Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright. My next guest is a former WCW Cruiserweight television and tag team champion. He is a part of the Wright Wrestling Family, one of the best European wrestling families. He owns and is the head trainer at the Wright Stuff Pro Wrestling School. It is Das Wunderkind from Germany. Hello and welcome, Alex Wright. Achtung, Achtung, this is Alex Wright. Germany, uh, how are things over there? We're all sort of talking a little bit off-air, pre-COVID, of course. I mean, parts of Europe, especially England, they had a booming uh, independent wrestling scene. Uh, how does Germany view wrestling? Is it, is it considered an art form in Germany? Yes, it's considered an art form in Germany. Um, the scene was actually pretty good before Corona, but then Corona happened and everything was shut down. Right now, at the moment, I'm not allowed to continue my shows. Uh, with my company, uh, New European Championship Wrestling. All the other indie promotions here in Germany, they are not allowed to promote also. So I hope uh, the wrestling business survives this uh, bad situation. You say it is considered an art form there in Germany. I mean, how, how do the regular sort of people, the punters, view wrestling? Well, they accept it as sport entertainment. It was a long road to to have uh, that mindset in, in the spectator's head um, because in the, in the 90s and in the 80s, it was, it was pro, uh, presented over here as a shoot. And the transition from, from being like legit to sports entertainment, it took a while. But now it's, uh, it's totally accepted. You come from great uh, wrestling uh, pedigree. Uh, Steve Wright, your father, a very accomplished pro wrestler. I mean, did he talk you out of becoming a professional wrestler or did he kind of encourage you to? No, no, he encouraged me to. I mean, he would have been happy with anything I chose for me in my life. But no, see, I grew up on the road. Like, you know, I'm a second generation wrestler. So I traveled from city to city. I stayed in the in the mobile home or in the caravan right beside the building or the tent where the shows was held 
And the best playground for me as a kid was the ring. So I actually begged my dad every day, let's go to the ring. Actually, before that, I was crawling around as a baby in the ring. So for me, it was never a decision if I ever going to be a wrestler. I knew that's my way to go. When I got older, uh, my, my father trained me, but it never felt like training. It always felt like um, playing around. And those were uh, really great times when I started the, my first you know, steps in wrestling and all that stuff. So, no, he helped me a lot. He, I could have had a better trainer than him, and I could have not have a better uh, father than him. My dad and, and my whole family, it's, it's a, for us, it's a lifestyle. Wrestling runs in our blood, and it's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's just about the lifestyle. You know, that's has priority number one. It's like doing the sport, living 24-7 for the sport, training, you know, uh, watch your meals and stuff like that, traveling, seeing uh, a lot of countries, meeting a lot of different people, you know, and the most important thing is, you know, have, have uh, uh, very good matches and entertain the fans. If you see the wrestling business that way, you're always going to have the most time fun. You know, the, the, of course, you have sometimes problems with uh, uh, the money or you have problems with injuries or you have problems with a promoter or you have problems with some colleagues, but that's in any other job also. So the main goal is just to have fun. If you're not, if you're not hunting the fame and the money, you're always going to be happy. And you know, like you said, you had uh, the perfect trainer and perfect father with your, your father Steve there training you I'm guessing you're you know you're doing the local tours there in Germany uh, a bit of overseas work as well but would you say it was serendipity I guess by chance that uh, Sting and Johnny B. Bad were at the TV show uh, that you were also at while WCW were touring Germany well of course um, I think it was fate for me <laughs> <laughs> because um, first I was invited to that big talk show in Germany. I mean, I had a lot of media attention in, in Germany because I was the youngest pro wrestler in Germany was at the age of 16. And um, so I had a lot of you know talk shows, a lot of radio, radio shows and stuff like that. And at the, age of, uh, at the age of 18, I was invited to that big talk show again. And Johnny and uh, Sting were there and the public relations manager, Ellen Sharp, was there. And they invited me to a, to a WCW show because at that time they had a WCW tour going on in Germany. And my, my father, you know, the veteran in the business said, hey, kid, <laughs> listen, you don't know what's going to happen. Take your wrestling gear with you. Of course I did. And then, you know, it happened that one of the WCW wrestlers was injured and uh, Ric Flair was the booker at that time. He asked me if I wanted to take his spot. So I wrestled that night. And that was basically like a tryout. And apparently they, they were very satisfied and they asked me to continue the tour with them and finish them. And after the tour, they came, approached me and Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff, they said, hey, listen, um, we want you to come to the States. We want to we offer you a contract. As an 18-year-old kid, I had to decide in one week if I take the chance of a lifetime. And uh, of course I did. But I, I had to move by myself at the age of 18 to a different country, you know. So it was a pretty hard uh, um, and challenging time for me as a young kid. So take us back to that, I guess, that meeting. If it was, it was, I guess it was in a hotel room. I think you said uh, Eric Bischoff was flying over from America to Germany. Um, obviously, Ric Flair got you to finish the, 
the Germany tour? Was it was it both Eric and Rick in the room, or was it just uh, Eric Bischoff talking to you? I I think I recall it was Eric and Rick, but it's been so long, so I, I don't want to <laughs> bet on it. it had so many things happened in the last twenty five years. So <laughs> your your initial impressions of uh, Eric Bischoff at that time, a very uh, smart businessman, very very fair uh, businessman. He knew um, what he wants to achieve in the wrestling business with WCW. So I'm, I'm very grateful still for the chance he gave me uh, to join WCW. It was the best time in my life over there in the States. And is it fair to say that Ric Flair took a, quite a liking to you? Yeah, he did. He was, always, he was uh, known that he always uh, helped the young guys. A lot of people said I, I'm his protege. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was really nice to me. And, you know, I think what he liked was that, that I didn't have a big head. You know, I, I was always humble and I always tried to learn. I, I always tried to improve and have good matches. Always give my best. And I, I think he, uh, he acknowledged it that I really wanted to go far in this business. You touched on it a little bit earlier, you're 18 years old, you're in the US, you got a contract with one of the biggest wrestling companies. I mean, what's your first impressions of WCW and being in an overseas country? I mean, there's the, the, the cliche rock and roll lifestyle of wrestlers, especially from the 80s. I mean, was it a big culture shock? Well, being a second generation wrestler, I, I, I've been to a lot of countries in my young age. I saw a lot of different... Uh, uh, countrysides and people you know and so and I was very at a young age um, how you say um, I was already grown up for my age of course it was hard because being in a different country and in the states you're an adult at the age of 21 I was only 18 years old so there were a lot of problems you know with with the government and stuff like that and you know getting rental cars getting hotels and stuff like that plus I was a foreigner and I was German, you know, and that made me not very uh, sympathetic to uh, uh, a lot of people, you know. Um, at first, um, when I came over there, um, Atlanta is it's a great city, I think. Uh, I always liked the States anyway, and uh, people were always nice to me. At first, they didn't pay me. WCW, somehow, you know, bureaucracy or whatever, it took, took a half a year till they could pay me. So I, you know, I had a lot of... Uh, uh, de death at the end of the six months and I had to get me a second job like work as a bouncer and you know getting people uh, you know like a taxi driving around and stuff like that I mean I did everything just to pay my bills also they put me on hold in the power plant in the wrestling school there which was a good experience but I really knew everything already um, because my dad trained me very well and he wrestled all over the world. He wrestled for New Japan. He wrestled in Canada. He wrestled uh, for Ron Gagne in the States. And <clears throat> he wrestled for the big companies in Mexico and in, in whole of Europe and Asia. So he knew all those different styles. And, you know, that's a, a, always a, a procedure to, if, if they don't have a spot free for you on TV, they put you on, you know, on hold on, in a wrestling school. Which was good, you know. I learned a lot of a lot of guys there, a lot of good talent there, and it kept me in shape. And there were a lot of good trainers there, so it was a good time. But uh, you know, I was eager to step in the wrestling ring in, in front of a crowd, and you know, being on the road and stuff like that. Yeah, it took about a couple months, and then uh, 
uh, I finally started being on the road. And then, of course, uh, it was even harder with the money because I had double expenses. I had the on-the-road expenses and I had the expenses at, at home with my hotel. And so I, the first nine months, I think, I, I, you know, I just ate once a day and I slept on the floor from, from my colleagues' hotel rooms and just to save money, you know. It's funny you mentioned that. I was going to say, uh, as a bit of a joke, maybe you could have slept at the power plant. Yeah, well, then I wouldn't be on the road, you know. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Um, I, well, I, about the power plant, I mean, was that being run by Paul Orndorff or was it Sergeant Bailey Parker by that time? No, actually it was run by Jody Hamilton at first when I started. Right. Yeah, he was a big, big uh, famous wrestler in, I think, in the 70s or something like that. And uh, Nick Patrick, the referee, was his son. And uh, Buddy Lee Parker was a trainer at that time. Later on, a couple of years later, I think Paul, Paul, you know, took it over. And uh, Buddy Lee Parker was still the trainer there. But he was a great trainer. I mean, a tough, tough guy. I believe I heard in a previous interview that uh, the whole dancing gimmick that you would basically have for the first run with WCW, was, is it true that you guys were out at a club and you were dancing and they said that that should be your gimmick? Well, basically, yeah, because, you know, I can't, you know, in Germany, techno was at that time very big. It was a big hype. Uh, in the States, it wasn't that big at the time. But, you know, some, some dance clubs started playing stuff like that. And I just danced like I danced in Germany. <laughs> You know, and um, yeah, some of those uh, office people say, listen, that, that, that's very unique. It's very different. Why don't you try that um, as an entrance thing? I just did because I was 18 years old. And in, in, in Europe, it was very, like I said, it was a big hype and it wasn't uh, that special. So I did it and they, they liked it. And from, from that moment on, they just forced me to, to do it all the time. <laughs> Why do you think there, there's so much confusion or misunderstanding about the gimmick? Because, I mean, some people say that it was a, a stripper gimmick, but you were just dancing. Why do you think there was confusion about it? Well, I don't know. So, you know, a lot of people in the States and the people in Europe, they're a little bit different in, in some ways of thinking, you know. Since a lot of people danced like me in Europe, it wasn't nothing special. So everybody knew it's, it's techno dance. That's how you dance to techno. Yeah. And because it was a new thing in, 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 in the States and it wasn't that uh, um, widespread uh, known over there at that time, they, I, I think that the American people didn't know where it came from, what, what, it, what, it, what it stands for, you know. But it really didn't stand for nothing. It was just how the people in Europe danced to it. And, you know, of course, I had a um, problem because I had the pretty boy image and then I had a short trunks, you know, and I had uh, the dance and I was, you know, apparently not that bad looking. So a lot of people thought I'm a gay stripper or stuff like that. That was just the parts of the male audience, you know, all the kids and the grandmas and the families, they all like me. And um, it was very special. And to this day, people still recognize me when I go to the States. I mean, I still have a big following and that's 25 years ago. You know, there's a lot of guys in the business which have been six months of TV and nobody talks about it anymore. So I think this helped me to really stay in the mind of the people. 
which was good. It made, made me unique. So it helped me. It was sports entertainment. It was entertaining. Uh, on the other hand, I had problems with the, some of the male audience um, that they look past the dance and look at my wrestling abilities because actually wrestling was for me the priority. You know, I, I always been a sportsman. I mean, I, I, I'm a seven uh, country champion in amateur, amateur wrestling. You know, I had a lot of other titles in amateur wrestling. I did a lot of weightlifting. I, I was a co uh, multiple champion weightlifting and also in competition swimming. So always sports was very important for me. But, you know, I, I was happy with it. So I had my fun and I was just grateful being in that spot, wrestling for, for WCW, traveling the world, meeting a lot of people, wrestling great, great talents and great stars, you know, which make me help to improve myself. Uh, so it was a great time and living in a great country. You know, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed living in the States. It was They were very, very friendly, just as, as the Australians. I mean, when we toured over there, it was just the same, you know. Actually, I have family in Australia, in Melbourne. I was going to say, in Australia, uh, techno music, uh, we call it doof doof music. Doof doof, why that? <laughs> oh, just doof 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 doof. Oh, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Been around for a long time now, this kind of music. Dance music and uh, I guess techno, it's, it's mainstream now. And I guess kind of the 90s, yeah. obviously being big in Germany and European countries, it took a, quite a while before it became uh, a mainstream type of music in like, I, countries like yeah. America. And uh, I think I was way ahead of, of the time when I started dancing over in the States. So that's why people didn't know how to react to it. Oh, but the, the, the girls liked it, so that was very good. You know? so. I was going to say, I don't think you would have had any trouble uh, with the ladies, that's for sure. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. It, it was a gimmick that was uh, that stood out. And I guess if you want to compare, I guess uh, today's kind of uh, what's happening, uh, maybe you got sort of generic A and B wrestler as opposed to, I guess, doing something that's, you know, a little bit different. It's very important for a young wrestler to be different. You have to be unique. You have to be special. If you do all the time the same stuff with all the wrestlers do, then you're never going to be anywhere going because then you're replaceable. And you weren't long for the power plant. I mean, uh, you would make your debut for WCW, then go on to uh, your first debut uh, pay-per-view for WCW, uh, Starcade 94, which I guess is WCW's WrestleMania equivalent at the time. And debuting against you was uh, another up-and-comer, Jean-Paul Levesque. Whatever happened to him? Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, Triple H now, you know, the owner or almost the owner of WWE. No, actually, yeah, it was. I always enjoyed working him. You know, he was a like we were both starting out in WCW, and it was easy working with him and great talent. So it was fun. You know, we both wanted to really have a good match to show that we are the ability to move higher in the cards and stuff like that. You know. And that was a bit of a theme, uh, especially early on with WCW. You're sort of facing people like who would go on to be Triple H, the people who would go on to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. I believe uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin did the uh, famous ECW promo where he kind of makes reference to you saying they asked him to give you seven good minutes to see what, uh, see what the kid can do. I mean, do you sort of look back now and look at sort of where the likes of Steve, the Steve Austins, the, the Triple H's have been and sort of just how crazy wrestling is and the trajectory of some talents? Well, a wrestling business has to do a lot with talent, but also with a lot of luck and what, what boss likes you or what booker likes you mm. and being at the right place at the right time, you know, and uh, 
people who are talking maybe about me in a good way or a bad way, it really, I don't care because I'm very, um, I know what, what, what my ability were mm -hmm. and what I could do even at that young age. I mean, you have to think about that. Most of my colleagues were like thirties, mid thirties. And I did the same job. I traveled the same way. I had the same injuries, problems, you know, uh, being away from the family. And I just, uh, uh, my performance was just as good as anybody else theirs. You know, so whatever people say, I, I, I really don't care. It was always fun working with Steve because he was really good. And of course, I learned every time I stepped in the ring with guys who've been in the business longer than me, you know, I, I learned a lot. So like I just mentioned, there, there are guys out there, they talk, you know, not very positive about the dancing or stuff like that. You know, it's sports entertainment. A lot of guys in that business, they, they get a big head someday just because they have a couple leather belts with some metal on it, you know, and they, they just forget it's sport entertainment. Somebody gave it to them. It's not a shoot. So always be humble. It's just sport. Absolutely. And another, um, I guess you could say at the time, up and comer or someone who was definitely going to make his mark uh, in wrestling of the extreme variety, I guess you could say, it's Sabu. He made his WCW uh, debut on the second edition of Monday Nitro, which I know. Nobody, nobody wanted to work with him in the WCW, so they were all afraid of him. And uh, <laughs> and they asked me if I have a problem working with him. I said no. And actually, Sabu was a very nice guy and very, you know, he was very good to work with. I, I don't know what, what the problem was. I mean, of course, he's a crazy guy, but he's, he still loves the business. And um, I, actually, I, it was kind of weird because every time some new talent came into WCW, most of the time I had to wrestle them. Mm. It, it was Chris Jericho. It was Sabu. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of guys I always had to wrestle the first time. Was that, I guess, uh, you could say with Sabu, some of the guys may have been afraid to uh, face him? Or was it a bit of a... Did you take that as a... a a medal in the sense that they want me to test this guy out first or they trust me? No, I don't, I don't know if, they, if, if it was a medal. You know, maybe they just looked for, for a stupid guy enough to step in the ring with Sabu. No, I don't know. Uh, I, I just, you know, my dad always said to me, be a pro and do what the promoter tells you and do it at the best you can do it, you know, and, and perform good and have a good match and, and, and you know, uh, satisfy the, the audience. And if they tell me to wrestle Sabu, I wouldn't have a problem. If they tell me somebody else, I wrestle somebody else. I always try to have a good match. When I talked to Sabu, he was a very, really nice guy. So I had no um, doubt that I could have a good match with him. You know, that, that's the thing. Maybe maybe uh, some of the guys in, in the in WCW roster, they actually didn't even try to get in touch with Sabu and, and talk with him or whatever because they thought, oh, you know, he's just a, a hardcore wrestler or he, why does he have a spot now in WCW or whatever, you know? So they, they, they even didn't take their time to get to know him. It was actually the uh, 25th anniversary of the second night show and that particular match last week. And I guess most people remember that match for the table spot where Sabu jumps off the turnbuckle uh, onto the floor and puts you through a table. You obviously didn't have an issue working with him, but was there any issue with uh, doing the table spot? No, I was young and crazy. <laughs> I, I did a lot of stuff in, in matches, which I never had done before and which I never tried before. I just tried it. And 
you know, I, I always knew how to protect myself. So I, I, no, I had no doubt that it would work. No, and it worked out, you know, so it was good. And it's funny you say that uh, maybe some of the other wrestlers were a bit afraid to face him because I believe the night before on WCW main event, you actually faced Diamond Dallas Page and the winner would go on to face Sabu. Well, I don't think DDP uh, was afraid um, to work him because DDP is a very hardworking, uh, very focused wrestler. He never backed down from a challenge, DDP. So I, I wouldn't know. He wouldn't want, be one of those who maybe said, no, I don't want. And I, I don't mean afraid of Sabu in general. I, I just afraid that they get injured in a match with him because mm. he, he looked to them very uh, irresponsible, not, not taking care of, of the guys who he works with. And that's, you know, they, they had like, worries that they may get, get injured i think that was the main main reason have you tried out uh, ddp yoga um getting a bit older with any sort of old wrestling injuries so apparently it's really good for um, helping I, actually i have a, C- a cd at home a dvd and um but i did not try it so far but i should have done it a long time because i get stiff and stiffer in my age so uh, no it's a great thing uh, what ddp uh, has done there and yeah like and helped a lot of people so far. So I know, I know it works. I have a lot of students who also do it and they have very uh, good improvements and results. So I just, you know, having my company, my, my promotion, European Championship Wrestling and my school and, you know, it takes so much time up that I hadn't had time uh, doing yoga. I mean, I, you know, have a wife and a kid also and a house and, you know, you have to somehow manage everything that everybody's happy. There's not enough hours in the day. Uh, I completely agree. And another yeah. upstart that uh, you did mention earlier, Chris Jericho, um, you guys would have a series of matches for the Cruiserweight title. Now, Chris Jericho, one, I guess, how is he uh, to work with? But it's funny, he's actually now back on TNT with AEW as well. Do you have any thoughts about AEW? Well, I think it's a, it's a great company, AEW. You know, a lot of young, talented guys, you know, uh, a good mix of in the roster of the ages. And uh, they do a very good show. They put shows on very good ones. And uh, yeah, because Jericho was always a competitive worker. You know, he always wanted to be uh, great in the ring. And that That's the reason why he came that far in the business. So I'm very happy for him and for AEW. When you think about the WCW Cruiserweight division, I mean, it's sort of one of the, as a fan myself, I know I go back to how great that division was back in the mid to late 90s. Why do you feel that the Cruiserweight division, especially with WCW, holds such, uh, it's held in such high regard with wrestling fans even to today? I think because WCW brought the best from all the countries. They, They brought great wrestlers from Mexico, great wrestlers from Japan, great wrestlers from the States, great wrestlers from Europe. So I think the mix of the different styles and the technical styles and all that stuff and the high-speed wrestling and the high-flying, and uh, I think that was a very big part of it, you know. I mean, I really enjoyed that time. It was not that easy for me because I was much taller than most mm. cruiserweights. Um, but that was that style what I liked, you know. I mean, I, I really enjoyed working with Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero, Rimalenko, you know, La Parca, you know, Psychosis, Juventus Guerrero, and Billy Kidman, and 
Ray Mysterio, you know, all those guys. It was just fun working them. And for a short period as well, you were actually managed by Deborah McMichael. Uh, I heard in a recent interview uh, that you suffered a head injury, which kind of uh, sidelined you. And I guess it, I don't know how much uh, credit you want to put into dirt sheets, but you were rumoured to get a, quite a significant push, uh, potentially being considered to be a part of the Four Horsemen. Is that true or false? Yeah, there were a lot of talks about me having a... I mean, it was right at the beginning of a big push. Um, if it would have been part of the horsemen or whatever they, they planned, um, I, I really can't recall, but they said uh, multiple times that they wanted to push me really hard now. And that, that was the reason why I didn't take a break when I had a head injury beforehand and I always kept wrestling with my concussions. And then... That night of Monday Nitro, I had to pay per you a day before, and then the next day I felt the whole day sick and really headaches and stuff like that. And you know, I, I just didn't want to lose my spot, so mm. I did the match. And in the match, I received an Inzugiri kick from Prince Ayakea. That was in the middle of the match, and uh, I I realized that moment, oh, something is wrong because I I really felt a big pain in my brain, and I I, I my vision slowly went. went really close and close closer and then uh, I finished the match and while I was walking back to the to the curtain as soon as I uh, hit the curtain I was blind and then wow. you know that was at age 22 I just bought a house the week before I just got married the week before <laughs> it was the hardest call I had to do when I was in the hospital I said to me hey listen I, uh, to my wife uh, I'm blind you know so, but I was very lucky, you know, I, I overcame this challenge in my life and it took me nine, nine months and then I stepped back in the ring. You, you touched on it a little bit earlier, sort of uh, being quite mature for your age, uh, being married at 22, you know, some would consider that qu quite young. Well, was I was your... together with my wife when I was 17. We were high right. school. And was she over in America or was she back home in Germany? The first six months when I when I decided to move over there, she stayed there because she wasn't 18 at that moment at that time, and her parents didn't allow her to move over there. So she had to wait till she was 18, and then she came over. And then from that moment on, she we were together since today. <laughs> I sort of alluded to it earlier, like the the wrestling business, it can be. Um a bit of a dark place, especially if people who have demons, it didn't uh, take a toll on the relationship? Well, the thing is, if you're always honest between each other and you uh, don't do stupid shit on the road, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then everything is good. Of course, it's hard because you're always, a, a lot of times you're separated. Anytime I had time or had the possibility to take my wife with me, I did. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, a lot of times I was by myself. And then it's up to you as a man to be doing the right stuff. You don't do the stupid stuff and then everything will work out. Of course, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, mm. there's so much temptation. I mean, especially if you're famous and you go in a dance club and you just would have to snap with your fingers and you would have 10 girls, you know, you could go to the hotel, but you always have to decide um, the next day, if you look in the mirror, what, if you like what you see. And I, I couldn't live with that. So that's, I guess, why it worked out for me and my wife. <laughs> no, that's great to hear. And you would form um, a team with uh, the Disco Inferno, uh, Dancing Fools, later as well, the Boogie Nights. Uh, that was a pretty fun gimmick. It also at times featured uh, Tokyo Magnum. And I love the whole the stick of, you know, you wouldn't let Tokyo Magnum dance, only you and Disco could dance. 
you said your initial gimmick, your solo gimmick, was kind of invented out in the club and the boys sort of said that should be your uh, gimmick for uh, dancing. Uh, did you and Disco come up with the idea to be the dancing fools on the dance floor? Uh, I, I really can recall that. I mean, that was, uh, I, I don't know. Could uh, Actually, it could be that Disco uh, came up with that idea because he has a lot of great ideas, but he also has a lot of stupid ideas. He's a very funny guy, so I always enjoy traveling with him, uh, working with him also. But I, it could be that that was Disco's idea. Yeah, and he was very creative. He was creative, and he sort of, towards the end of WCW, he sort of was on the booking committee, and he kind of basically said, you know, any of his friends, he'll try to come up with storylines uh, for, like, the likes of Conan and people like that. Did he come up with sort of boogie nights? I'm guessing that sort of was, was that a Disco thing as well? Yeah, pr- probably. <laughs> I, I would think so, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I enjoyed it because it was fun. But on the other hand, I, I, I preferred being actually a, a singles wrestler. I never liked being in a tag team, especially in a, you know, it was a little bit comedy last, more comedy. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, I like more uh, tough sports Legitimate type of... Uh, Leg- legit wrestling more. Yeah. You know, I like more the yeah, sports. Did De- uh, Disco Inferno ever try to pitch you the Invisible Man? No. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I can't recall. Well, what's that? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was, I think, uh, essentially, in, in short, um, it was basically uh, a shot of an empty locker room and then, like, subtitles would come up saying, Invisible Man, coming soon. But the way I think that Disco wanted to book it later on down the track, it was going to be a scheme that uh, someone else had created to get under Norman Smiley's... Uh, to get the hardcore title. I think that that's the rough, the short version, but I was wondering if, if you had ever heard of the Invisible Man. No, 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 I haven't. <laughs> but it sounds like this cool, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess um, you'll mention sort of being a bit, a bit more of a serious character, and we, we saw that uh, when you sort of did the Berlin character. Now, were you injured at the time when you sort of came up with the idea for the Berlin character? I, th- I think, yeah, it was in that time. Actually, the, the whole idea was just to get away from the pretty boy image, you know, mm. because I, I was just, it was some kind of boring to me, you know, doing all, always the same. I mean, I knew it worked, but, you know, I got older and I just wanted to somehow show the audience that, I, that I'm a man now. And mm. I wanted to do something totally different. And like I said before, it's always important to do something different and, and being unique. And then I came up with that vampire, old vampire, gothic style gimmick. It had really a lot of potential. All the, the fan groups and sheets and all that, they very hyped it a lot, the debut of Berlin. So and the best thing was my, even my colleagues didn't recognize me when I walked in the locker room. It's funny you mention that because as a wrestling fan, I think I would have been about 12 years old at the time. I had absolutely no idea that was Alex Wright. So you had me uh, hook, line and sinker. Yeah, well, it was fun, you know, playing, playing with, the, with your colleagues and your, your buddies in the locker room, you know, because I, when I walked in the locker room, I didn't talk to them. I was like being really cocky and very arrogant. So I get, you know, I got a lot of knives in my back in that moment, you know, because they didn't know it was me. So it was a lot of fun. A few things which really uh, threw a spanner in the works uh, in regards to the character and your push. I mean, you had the big, I guess, uh, manager or security in the wall, but this is a a turbulent time at best with WCW. I think it's about 99. Eric Bischoff, I think, has just been fired. Vince Russo 
comes in and he was it that he wasn't uh, a fan of the gimmick or it was because it kind of had Eric's name on it? Second reason. I think he, uh, he didn't want to continue ideas which Eric started. I think there was a rivalry between those two because the, the gimmick had a lot of potential, like I said before. But Vince Russo was basically the reason why Berlin, you know, was stopped. I should have saved that gimmick for WWE. Mm. That would have been better. But anyway, that's life, right? <laughs> it is. And I mean, he's a pretty controversial figure within wrestling, uh, Vince Russo. I mean, there's been a lot of sort of speculation about his philosophy with wrestling. And I guess with the Berlin character, because you weren't speaking or you're speaking German, um, did he think if you weren't speaking English, like the whole, oh, you, you'll never get over a bro if you don't speak English? Was it that kind of mentality? Or it was just purely just, it was an Eric Bischoff type of idea or you know, production. No, no, I, I really think it was just the reason because it was Eric Bischoff's idea. Yeah. I, think, I really think because it was a good idea and if he would continued and it would have been successful, everybody would have said, oh, it's Eric's idea. Mm. I think he didn't want to, I, I think his ego didn't want to have, you know, have that or whatever. I mean, I, I, I never got a reason really why they stopped it. They, like like I said before, I, I, I'm a pro, and if they tell me to do that and that and that, I did it, and that's it. Yeah, and I guess Vince Russo, the person. I mean, all the wrestling uh, aside, did you sort of get on get on with him as a person, or didn't really have much to do with Vince Russo? I really didn't have much to do with him. I mean, really, I, I'm I'm a second generation wrestler. My dad wrestled 26 years all over the world. My uncle Bernard Wright wrestled all over the world. Uh, the foster father of my father, which raised him, he was also a promoter and uh, um, owner of a wrestling school and a wrestler. Uh, he trained a lot of big names like British Bulldogs. He trained. So I come from a from a wrestling family, like you, you mentioned in your your beginning of the interview. And uh, and then Vince Russo, he kind of try to change the business uh, without even knowing the business. You know, I mean, he came in the locker room and said to the guys, hey, you're not allowed to take any holes in the matches or, you know, stupid stuff, which he didn't know because he doesn't know, at least at that point, I thought he didn't know any ring psychology, mm -hmm. you know. And, and the next thing was WCW audience was different to the WWE audience. And he was trying to book... WCW like he booked WWE and mm. that didn't work out. I don't know. He, he did a lot of stupid stuff like giving the heavyweight title to uh, David Akat, you know, that's movie mm. star and stuff like that. So he lost a lot of respect in the lot of locker room for doing stuff like that. Now, are you just saying that, Alex, because you didn't get a role in uh, Ready to Rumble? Um, no, I really don't <laughs> care about stuff like that. I, told, I, I mentioned to you, I, I do not need the limelight I'm not one of those guys. That's not important to me. No, just kidding, of course. My first introduction to Berlin was at Fall Brawl 99. Um, apparently, Buff Bagwell didn't want to uh, have a match with you, so you had the match with Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, uh, a wrestling legend, but apparently he uh, wasn't as gracious or uh, as gracious as he could have been for selling for Berlin on that night. Well, the, the, the whole thing there is, I mean, the, the thing is, in a lot of interviews, uh, it, 
you know, it's a topics, those kind of images like Paul Roma or Haxan Jimberg or whatever. You know, I had, I, I don't know, I had hundreds of matches and <laughs> they always pick out those two. But anyway, those, the, the, the match against Hexa or Bagwell. Um, Bagwell actually, me and Bagwell got along very well because mm. he was one of the guys when I came first to the States really helped me, you know, uh, I, I stayed at him at his place. He he helped me being on the road and stuff like that. He's actually a good guy. I know a lot of people you know, talk shit about him and he's a very special character, but he, he's a good guy. So I, I'm thankful for that. Haxel Jim Duggan and I always got along pretty well. I mean, he was, a, like you said before, a big name in the business and he was a veteran and I always got to teach by my dad, you have to respect the veteran, you have to respect the sport, and you have to respect the fans promoter. So that's what I did. And But that was the time where the transition was from the office in WCW. So everybody didn't know what's going on, if they still have a job or if they're going to get you know fired or mm. what's going on and what should they do. So everybody tried to protect their own status. Of course, there were people who were on the side of, of Eric and there were people on the side of Vince. And I heard a rumor that, that uh, somebody told Haxa after the meeting with me and him and stuff like that, he shouldn't sell. Mm. You know, so, and he, he probably just, he tried to secure his job probably and just did what somebody told him probably. And that's the reason why uh, it uh, worked. That match wasn't that <laughs> good as it could have been of course was bad for me at that time because it was a new gimmick with a lot of potential and it was kind of damaged by this match but anyway that's like that, that's again that's that's just the business and that's just life you know you, you have to get over it and that's it uh, one match which I really did love uh, from Berlin was uh, your match with Vampiro at uh, Mayhem '99. I think it was the uh, dog collar match. Um, that was a pretty, a pretty brutal uh, match. Uh, I think uh, it was you were in the camel clutch and had the the chain around your neck. It looked pretty vicious. I recently spoke to Vampiro. He seems like a pretty down to earth performer. I mean, how did you find working with him? I always enjoyed enjoyed working him. I mean, I think I had one of my best matches in. And in Hamburg, Germany with him. I mean, he's a really cool guy. And uh, I really, he's, like you said, he's down to earth. And that's, he's just the same way like me. I'm down to earth. And, you know, if I, so, if I don't like something, I tell you right in your face. And that's it. Very turbulent time, sort of 99, 2000, obviously 2001, uh, with the, the sale of WCW. Was there any indicate? I mean, did you have any thoughts prior to the sale or say after the Berlin gimmick didn't go as well as you would have hoped to contact the likes of the WWE or WWF at the time and sort of jump ship then? Well, apparently uh, WWE always showed interest in me. I mean, I hear it from all kind of corners always uh, that they are interested and of course, in the, in the locker room, everybody knew that WCW sooner or later was going to be sold to them. Mm. But after WCW was sold to WWE, I was so burned out mentally and physically because I, I've been on the road many, many years straight and um, had a lot of injuries and uh, all the backstage politics at the end of the WCW, that, you know, it took, it took the toll. And mm. I just, said, I, um, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy when I step in the ring, you know, I want to give a hundred percent for the promoter. I want to give a hundred percent for the fans and a hundred percent for myself, you know, my expect, 
expectations are very high then. And I knew I couldn't do it at that moment anymore. And that's the reason why I said I, I need to take time off, you know, mm-hmm. and I go back to Germany, see my family and stuff like that. And while I was in Germany, you know, yeah, I got t- contacted uh, twice by WWE and they said, hey, listen, we want you to come over. And I said, hey, listen, I'm very grateful. I'm very honored that you're interested in me. But, you know, I, I'm right now I need a break. I couldn't mm-hmm. perform at 100%. And that's it. Then life happened again, and you know, I my first dream was to become a wrestler, and my second dream, following the footsteps of my dad, and and go to the states, uh, you know, um, and the second dream always was to uh, help the sport in Germany and help the young talent over here and open a wrestling school. And that's what I tried, and um, it happened that good uh, that you know, work got more and more and more, and the school got big and bigger, and. Now I'm uh, booked, uh, fully booked till next year, mid next year, and uh, always like a half year or nine months ahead, I'm fully booked. There's a lot of interest in wrestling, and it's a lot of fun to help young guys breaking into the business, you know, showing the professional way, giving him my, how do you say, philosophy? Philosophy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then seeing how they established themselves internationally and getting, uh, making their name. Just like Fabian Eichner now, he's in WWE. He was a student of mine, which I trained for almost two years. If you notice a, a talent, uh, I guess, that stands out that or has potential, do you, I mean, can you sort of make the call or contact the Performance Center and say recommend someone? Is it sort of that type yeah. of relationship? Yes, definitely. Um, I, I uh, have a very close relationship with the... Uh, head of talent relation. We stay in contact. I mean, not on regular basis. Always if they like look uh, for new talents or stuff like that, you know, we're in contact. And that's how I uh, recommended Fabian Eichner. And uh, a lot of guys of my school already uh, had tryouts with WWE. And uh, the other guy who would have had a contract uh, was Danilo Orloff. But he uh, he said no to the contract because private reasons. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, I stay in contract. I was at the first German uh, WWE tryouts, and I was also in the performance center as a guest trainer. So yeah, uh, we are in contact. Would there ever be, I mean, the Royal Rumble, which comes up every year, and that's kind of like uh, called the All-Stars of, uh, you know, wrestling. Would you uh, be a mystery entrant for the Royal Rumble if uh, offered? Well, definitely I would consider it, you know. But it's it's not up to me. It's too, up to WWE. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just thinking there'd be a lot of fans that uh, love nostalgia and obviously the Alex Wright character that would like to see you uh, dance one last time. Yeah, I, I, I probably would do that. That would be fun, you know. And your wrestling school, the, the, the right stuff, you were speaking about it there, um, but you, I did hear in the background that you, uh, is it, you have a son? Yeah. 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 Is, um, I'm not sure how old he is, but would you uh, encourage him to become a wrestler? Actually, he trains at my school also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but whatever he decides to be in his life, I'm, I'm, Happy as long as he's happy in his life. So I'm not, um, I mean, it's good. It's, uh, wrestling is a good sport to be in shape also. 
so it not necessarily necessarily has to he has to make a career out of it you know so whatever he wants to do you sort of are the youngest wrestler at 16 uh, when when he gets to that that age over he is you'd be like oh at 16 i was taking bumps on the on the canvas uh, come on yeah yeah of course <laughs> I, I i kid around with him and stuff like that but i don't want to put a, as much pressure on him too because every every human you know is different so um that was my way to go in life and somebody else has a different way to go in his life you know you have to find your uh, fate my fate was to wrestle it's been great speaking with you uh, alex right before we do uh, wrap up also if we could play a quick game called disco or techno okay um, so we'll see how this goes. This could be on the cutting room floor, depending. But essentially, I'm just going to give you a word or a name or of someone, somebody or something, and uh, you just have to say if it's disco or techno. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, we'll kick it off. John Travolta. Disco. Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Um, how about The Prodigy? Uh, disco. Disco? Oh, I thought that would have been techno. Okay, disco? Yeah, yeah, I know, but I never liked them that much, somehow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Studio 54. Techno. Because that's techno. I would have thought that was disco. No, yeah, because but- I like Studio 54. That was pretty cool stuff. And, and, and you know, I think I, I, I'm, I'm going like, because I always liked disco, so uh, I, I always liked uh, Techno, it's positive for me. So that's why okay. I answered with techno, you know. And I guess that was the con- the constant battle with you and disco. Uh, you were techno and he was too disco. Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, Brooklyn Bounce. Techno. Because you might have to help me out. I did look these guys up on Wikipedia. Apparently, they're a German techno band. What? Brooklyn Bounce? Uh, Brooklyn Bounce. Apparently, they're a German techno band. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> And finally, Ric Flair. He's disco and techno because he did it all. <laughs> He's the man. He's the party man. You sort of got, you had your dance moves on the dance floor there. What about Rick's uh, dance moves? Uh, uh, he could hold his own, I'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, he did the strut in the in the dance clubs, and he he knows how to party and have a good time. Definitely. Now, if uh, people listening uh, want to check out the right stuff, your pro wrestling school or events that you're holding, uh, how can they do that? Well, you can find me under www.prowrestlingschool.de or we are on Facebook. Just go to, let me see if I find this. I just punch in the search, the right stuff, pro wrestling school or new European championship wrestling or Alex Wright, then you find me. He's a former Cruiserweight champion, a WCW television champion and tag team champion. It's been great speaking with you, Alex Wright. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Well, thank you very much. It was really fun. 